Hello, therapists, non-therapists, and everyone in between. My name is Ian Hammonds, and I am Hayden Lindsay, and this is Therapy on Tap. I'm here having a drink with fellow Austin, Texas therapist, Patrick Harris, and our special guest today, Laura Trione. This is the most authentic way we know how to talk about therapy in a relaxed, non-judgmental environment, pint by pint. We are obviously deprived of a pub given the current pandemic. This is not a promotion of drinking, but instead humanizing the field the best way that three humans can share the space. Welcome, everyone. Hello. We are uh, down a man today. Our uh, pal Ian uh, had some uh, personal things to take care of, so he is taking care of himself. It's a weird way to say he's getting his nipples pierced. (laughs) 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 Um, Ian is usually our master of ceremonies, and and he's always so kind to uh, check in with all of us. He cares very deeply about our mental health, so... Uh, yeah, I'll open it up and, uh, Patrick or Laura can check in. Tell us how you're doing today. Laura, how are you? (laughs) Inquiring minds want to know. Uh, I am great. It's a beautiful day outside. We're really getting into that warmer weather finally. Um, is that why you wore your denim print speedo? (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes. Only the best. (laughs) That's a recurring joke. (laughs) But you wore five of them, which is an interesting choice. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm great. It's a, a pleasure to be here, and thank you for having me. Well, we're excited that you're here with us. Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm a little tired, so if I'm not as animated as past episodes, that's that's why. I was on a... You're hungover. (laughs) No, remember, we call it uh, celebration fatigue. (laughs) Celebration fatigue. I was out. I wasn't even that late. Like, I called it an early night. I was coming home from doing some biker stuff around, like, 8.30 last night. And I was coming down 1.30, which is our our toll road freeway out in the middle of nowhere when my bike just decides to crap out in a section of the highway with zero street lights and no buildings or anything. Uh, luckily I have these like decorative horns that I put on my bike and then wrapped in Christmas lights. So that served nicely as a, an emergency nice. light as I waited for, uh, some help to arrive, which I don't want to say this business by name cause I don't want to be sued, but let's just say there was a company called BBB, right? We'll just say triple B for short. Uh, those fucks, if you, first of all, they make you wait on hold for like 45 minutes for their emergency roadside assistance. And then second of all, when I finally got a hold of somebody and booked it, they said they would come out in two and a half to three hours. So that was just a useless mm. service to pay for. But anyways, I survived. I'm home. It took upwards of like three and a half hours to get that whole situation resolved. But that's why I'm tired. Triple B. Yeah. America bike association <laughs> thinking you could turn Bureau. them into the better business bureau yeah, yeah. so that's that's where i'm at it's just some residual fussiness how are you hayden i'm lovely thank you for asking you're uh, a little underdressed today i i you went with the standard <laughs> cuffs instead of the french cuffs <laughs> <laughs> well you know i i uh i, I I do enjoy uh, our our viewers, our listeners who maybe follow us on Instagram, um, may see me in my uh, my blue checker print checker window pane plaid suit. Um, yeah, here we are. 
We're, we're posting it on the gram right now. Um, and we, uh, you know, I, I just like to dress up every every now and then, and it makes me feel I feel sexy. <laughs> makes me feel nice. Um, it's also uh, the the my local pub, BD Riley's, not a sponsor yet. yet. <laughs> uh, they're turning four today, so um, you know if you're gonna go celebrate a pub birthday, you might as well dress for the occasion. So okay. I'm headed there after this. Uh, thus the suit. So I feel good. I feel uh, uh, suited up, ready to uh, ready to party, and um, also got some good news. Yesterday, I was accepted into the uh, Sexual Health Alliance yes. Certified Sex Therapy Track. Um, so they're amazing. Yeah, they Congratulations! Are amazing. Thank you. I'm I'm very excited to be. Uh, a uh, part of that organization. So I don't know how long it takes. It's something I, I need to look into. But here in the next year or two, Hayden Lindsay, certified sex therapist. Awesome. So we will have, uh, I'm sure at some point, we'll have sex on tap. <laughs> I mean, we won't, we won't <laughs> have sex. I don't know. How many ways that can be taken? We'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I wish my brain was working better because I feel like there's a joke in there somewhere. <laughs> so, I don't know. Um, I'm here for it, but um, this is what happens when Ian isn't here and uh, to pilot the ship. This is all. This is this is so far downhill. (laughs) (laughs) Crash and burn, baby. Well, today we are talking about non-traditional therapy, and I'm uh, I'm so excited to explore this topic with our with our special guest. you know, I, I think any innovation, any advancement in the field uh, really comes, you know, from this edge and, and sort of challenging the, the status quo. So I'm uh, looking forward to talking more about that. But uh, allow me to introduce our special guest, Laura Trione. She is an LPC associate. She is a Reiki master and an equine specialist in mental health. Did I get that right? Anything and learning. Else? And learning. Yeah. Patrick, you wrote yearning. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you would read that. <laughs> because ex- she's yearning to help people. Equine oh, yeah. specialist in mental health and yearning. I feel like Ron Burgundy on the fucking <laughs> I'm Ron Burgundy. And fun fact, Laura and I went to school together. Yeah. When she would show up sober, it was uh, <laughs> a fun time, but... Every time she came in and uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, Laura, why don't you do you want to tell us everything you know about equine therapy? Is that a good place to start? Just, sure. Just tell us everything. Well, yeah. what got you into equine therapy? Well, and what is equine t- therapy? Okay. Um, oh yeah, Ian likes to ask. <laughs> What made you become a therapist? Oh, yeah. Let's start there. Uh, start there. So, yeah, I'll get into why I got into it first. Um, I was in a relationship that wasn't quite supportive um, and working on my degree at the same time. And we were attempting to do something um, beneficial together. And so he found Healing with Horses. Um, 
and they had volunteer opportunities. And I love horses. I've been around them pretty much my whole life. Um, more into the Western style than English. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I started volunteering with them, I think it was in 2016, which is the same time I got Reiki certified. And we can get a little bit into that later. But, um, yeah, I kept going back and got to join several of their therapeutic sessions. Um, you're basically just holding space for the clients and making sure that you're watching the horse's demeanor. Um, if you've got somebody who's on the horse, you walk or jog along with them um, just for added support. Uh and I ended up being able to join um, an equine facilitated psychotherapy team that was there um, and got a lot of amazing training and decided this is what I want to do. Um, when I finished my degree, I, I've stuck with Healing with Horses Ranch Um and finally got certified as a equine specialist through Path International. Um, so it's been a great opportunity, and I love the breadth of clients that I can work with and that I've been able to work with so far. Um, I guess I could get into what equine therapy is now. Um, I just picture, you know, the... the- the couches, like the old psychoanalytic couches, and how big those have to be to accommodate the horses. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Some barns totally have really cushy mattresses for their horses. <laughs> that is not where I work. <laughs> um, Bad joke. I've been. I haven't even been listening to you because I've been waiting to. There make you go. Make joke. I love it. Um, Did you just repeat everything you just said? So. Well, I mean, you can actually do therapy with horses, but um, this is this is for humans specifically. So, um, horses have to stay centered. They have to stay grounded. They have to stay regulated um, and congruent. That's part of their survival as prey animals. Mm. And in a herd, their systems. Uh, co-regulate or join with the other herd animals. And that system of being able to check your environment is that much stronger. Uh, And I don't have documentation for this, but I believe that that that, um, group sensory allows them to be able to experience more, uh, you know, at farther distances. Um, so they can pick up on predators and things a lot farther away than how they would as a single horse. Um, wow. And in physics, you have uh, a stabilized system will take over a chaotic system. That's just this one has more power versus the chaotic one has significantly less power. So with a horse whose system is set up to regulate, to ground, 
that is what can help a client's body be able to link up with theirs. They are, um, I guess, given more space in a sense to be able to regulate. The humans are able to regulate. Uh, and that opens up so many things. It opens up your body. Uh, that opens up your ability to be able to, to think a little bit differently. You can go into different areas of your brain that way versus being in fight, flight, or freeze uh, in, in some level uh, that constricts and reduces our ability to um, connect. And horses need to connect. Uh, that's their survival. So humans are social creatures as well. Um, and if you've got a history of having difficulty or learning that that was bad, maybe you didn't have the best models growing up, working with horses is fantastic for that work. Um, and you get to develop a wonderful relationship with an awesome, fuzzy creature. <laughs> That's amazing. So, I mean, it makes sense that uh, this is growing in popularity with people with PTSD and yes. a lot of combat veterans. Are there any uh, populations where it's a contraindication? Obviously, like specific phobias, like if you're afraid of large animals or horses, but are there any, like with uh, autism or any type of sensory? Actually, it's great for autism. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Healing with Horses Ranch works with a lot of clients that uh, live with autism um, and various other disabilities. Um, but that is part of that regulatory piece, right? So the the horse isn't um, making a bunch of sounds that could be uh, sensory overload for them. Um, and their body does help do that regulation piece. Uh, and I'm also making up in my mind that maybe this large animal being as calm as they are visually being able to see that also helps them calm down. So I haven't quite gotten into that and don't have um, specific information on who that might be uh, way more of a challenge for or detrimental to, you know, maybe someone who's really big on germs, you know, or dirt or, um, you know, if you're, part of a ranch that doesn't have a bunch of covered area um, and someone who's got sun sensitivities, you know, that's all where my mind goes, but <laughs> I don't have documentation. So we brought you on cause this is our, the theme of the episode being non-traditional therapies. Mm. And this is one of the more popular or uh, interventions that are growing in popularity. What, what is the therapeutic value in it? Is it beyond just like the co-regulation? Like, is it just a, a catalyst for people that aren't comfortable with traditional talk therapy? Or is it when they see traditional talk therapy, just not really making any progress, then equine therapy is a good just sure. co-regulation, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> um. I, I talk, you know, I, I work... Uh, with a lot of couples and I, um, I always tell my couples that you are caretakers of each other's nervous systems. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I hope, you know, sort of the, the, 
the the master's level uh, relating is to be able to interrupt your distress cycle. I think the PhD level relationship, uh, we can actually soothe one another, mm. aka co-regulating. So mm-hmm. I talk about co-regulation until I blow in the face. Um, so I'm so glad that you know you you brought this piece in here, and um, I can't wait to you know. I, I, now I'm wondering, could this be effective? You know, in a kind of a couples uh, or in support of couples therapy. I think it could be. Um, I haven't had experience in that myself. Um, however, yes, it is extremely wonderful for relationship building skills, whether that's mm. developing or discovering the relationship with yourself um, and or other. So, you know, Horses don't have all of the jargon and stuff and talking and you know, <laughs> things that humans have. They don't really, as far as we know, they don't really hold on to stories and have that get in the way. So it's... Um, it reminds me of that great book, uh, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. Ah, I haven't heard that one. Well, and I'm wearing a zebra shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine doing couples equine therapy with a high-conflict couple that tries to triangulate the horse <laughs> on their side? <laughs> yeah. Am I right, Rocket? Aren't you with me? Yeah, see, the horse is on my side. You're being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining all these different things that the horse might do. Go <laughs> fuck yourself. It's just horse-themed puns for insults. <laughs> uh, thus concludes the educational portion of this episode. The rest of it will be just puns. There so- are definitely different approaches to working with horses. Um I don't like to view them as a tool, uh, especially for the relationship building piece of that. They are an entity, a creature with a heartbeat, with feelings, Mm. and they do remember traumatic experiences. Um, So you get to work with their story as well. Each horse has their own personality, and just like humans, they can be in... Uh, a place to connect at the beginning of the day and the second half of the day, they're like, screw you guys. I don't want to be here. And mm. I'm, you know, I'm not fucking working today. Peace. <laughs> so um, we've definitely experienced that. And it does bring up all kinds of thoughts and feelings for the clients. And that's where the work is. I totally, Patrick just derailed your question. <laughs> I just, I got really dysregulated at the, <laughs> Yeah, I apologize that Hayden minimized the uh, <laughs> self-regulation component of equine therapy. So. No worries. <laughs> just gaslight me on air. <laughs> I'm, I'm quite envious of your work. I actually grew up, uh, we have a family trail ride that would go from Laredo to Goliad to Houston mm. at, over several weeks, which is probably the most Texas thing about me. I like, love you it. just go and covered wagon, horseback. Super rad, but like you just develop these bonds with these creatures that just like exist beyond words, like similar to like you would do with, I mean, I have dogs now, like dogs, you just have this language with them and you can have a conversation without actually speaking and horses just have that intuition too, probably more so than dogs. Like they are very, um, intuitive into who they trust and who they don't. Like you said, like they'll just peace out halfway through or (laughs) they'll let you know when they're not feeling it, like Mm -hmm. the benefits of the horse. Versus a dog, like you can't force a horse to do something it doesn't want to do. Mm-hmm. Like a dog, you can just you know throw them in a kennel, but uh, like, like you can lead them to water, but you can't make them drink. <laughs> okay. 
Now, see, on this podcast, when you can see Hayden walking up to a joke, you just don't say anything. So it's, it gets really awkward. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, to your point, um, so I'm, I'm big on uh, development. So trauma and development specifically. There's epigenetic trauma, there's in utero trauma, there's trauma in infancy, and our first means of speaking and communicating is our intuition, uh, our body, our right brain. All of that is what allows us to connect with our caregivers. Um, As far as Reiki goes, I've done sessions, uh, one session in particular um, who was also one of our colleagues, but I don't have her permission to say her name. So, um, hold she on, was, let me guess her name. Is it? And I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was pregnant, and I was moving my hands down her body and got down to her baby bump and got this very clear, like, I don't know you. It was a strong, like, fear response. And I obviously had permission from the lady. But I never thought to ask the baby. That just hadn't popped in my head yet. Um, Mm. And I was like, okay, well, maybe this is the kid saying, I don't know you, like stranger danger stuff in the belly. So I stopped and I introduced myself. I said, I'm friends with your mom and she's asked for this session. And are you okay if I continue? And I got this immediate, like, calm feeling and sort of a yes and okay and did that. After she had her child, the kid was just like, talk, 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 talk to me. And that was, according to her mother, very unusual. Um, And so that supports my point as far as that body language and intuition we have all these meta communications as human beings. You can have thoughts and feelings. That's energy coming out of your body, which horses pick up on. The, the, the hair on them is great for picking up on them. We're all energy mm. machines and receptors. Um, you just blew my fucking mind. <laughs> How's that? Well, just the, the idea that you can communicate in utero mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's i think it's pretty obvious when we can when we think about it this is a, a little nervous system that's developing in there but um mm-hmm. just I, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that it's a i don't think a lot of people re- really do beautiful. yeah i mean we've got people that will play music and stuff and like talk to their belly and like pet a hand if it's pushing out mm-hmm. but i don't think we think about and make that connection with um, like they've got studies about uh, talking to water and that it, it molds up if you're really negative to it or it stays cleaner longer if you're more positive and, you know, plant stuff. Mm. Um, so you're growing this body and if you're sending it lots of negativity or, you know, the lack of any kind of attention, I feel like that has an effect. And I believe we've got plenty of evidence in the field of psychology and to support that. Um, so not to say that if your parents, like, don't talk to you while you're in the womb that you're going to be some screwed up kid. 
I'm not saying that. <laughs> um, but yes, if you create a more um, supportive environment and start doing the emotional intelligence pieces and communication pieces, then I believe that has an impact on your default and what I like to call blueprint as you grow older. Which I think this is where a lot of people kind of turn their nose up at the idea of like energy medicine and energy healing and just energies in general. Mm -hmm. Um, But whether you you look at it as energies or earlier you you mentioned epigenetics, Mm -hmm. um, it's true. Like there are consequences to any type of like stimulation or stuff that's going on on the outside. And now Mm -hmm. with like the the studies that are going on with uh, in utero epigenetics of like cortisol levels in moms will now lead to like uh, a more sensitive emotional nature in children because they're Mm -hmm. already coming in with that uh, predisposed high anxiety Mm -hmm. uh, of an environment. So whether we want to look at it as like an energy implication or a genetic mutation or whatever, like there is something that's directly observable and uh, empirically supported going on. Mm -hmm. Well, so I, I have a business that I call Gray and Gray's Research, and it's so incredibly in the works, I wouldn't even bother looking it up right now because there's nothing there. Um, But it's to support... uh, This comes out in like two months. (laughs) Boom! Get your shit together. (laughs) It's it's to support that. Um, I have a science degree and I have an arts degree. And I love being able to have those two sides to be able to look at those pieces. And I view it all as science. Magic is a level of science. Like the words that are coming out of our mouth, you can't see that. You can't see the air when you're breathing. Mm -hmm. You can't see some of the heat and perspiration and things coming off of your skin all the time. And it's still there. And, you know, you can go next to somebody or meet someone and and you get this, like, off feeling. That doesn't necessarily mean that this person is bad or wrong. That's how I felt when I met Patrick. (laughs) All his hairs stood up. This guy is way too handsome for me. (laughs) Very pretty face. (laughs) Um, Very intimidating. (laughs) Well, and you're dressed rather dapper, too, so, you know. Um... Yeah, it uh, it's all energy. It's all a form of communication. And I look at it as various languages, so to speak, you know. And this is so great to me as someone who works with couples. And I, I feel like I specialize in intimacy. And I find myself over the years getting more interested in, in these non-traditional approaches because Traditional talk therapy is it's about talking Mm -hmm. and couples come in wanting to talk and they want to, you know, uh, we want to communicate better. Mm -hmm. It's like 80% of your communication is Mm -hmm. nonverbal. I do believe that is actually documented one way or another about Mm -hmm. 70 to 80%. We communicate with our bodies. We communicate with prosody, with volume, with all these paraverbal things. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the, the field of psychotherapy in a, in a lot of ways has sort of aided and abetted this idea that we, we've just got to talk everything. We've got to talk everything. Right. Like, and I've been in consult meetings where well, let's process that. <laughs> and you kind of start to roll your eyes. Like I, you know, I have a, 
uh, obviously a, a, a huge respect for verbal processing, mm-hmm. but I, I want to see more. Um, this is what Pat, uh, Pat Love calls love beyond words. And she, mm-hmm. she talks about how to, how do we help people connect uh, non-verbally mm-hmm. and, and uh, I just don't, I don't see us doing that with a lot of the traditional approaches. Yeah. And what came to mind while you were saying that is what happens if you are projecting onto your partner or someone and you can't explain why that's come up. What if that's stuff that happened before you could speak before you were able to process it that way? It makes it that much more of a challenge to be able to put words to this so things like, um, I can't remember the technical, t- technical term, but uh, when you're doing like ther- uh, uh, theater for therapy, you know, drama, that kind of stuff, psychodrama. psychodrama. Thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> psychodrama, you're putting um, physical expression versus verbal expression. Um, if all you can do is sit there and scream at the top of your head, like I think scream therapy is amazing. (laughs) It's not necessarily words, but it is something (laughs) to be able to express that energy um, that you don't have a word necessarily to put to, or maybe you've gone through all of the words in talk therapy that you could ever try and come up with. And it still wasn't quite getting there. So the, non-traditional therapies allow for those avenues and you just need to figure out which one works for you that's the goodness of fit piece but also like looking at how much of our history i know this is if we're gonna use the dirty word evolution which triggers people but like in <laughs> like our evolution as a species like how long we were nonverbal before mm-hmm. the development of language mm-hmm. and all we had was body language um and then there was like the evolution of communication like nonverbal communication and then that's when dance came in and mm-hmm. dance was significant in yes. our, our cultural evolution as well um and even in present day like as infants like our first language is nonverbal communication either through crying through movement through actions uh, through eye gazes this mm-hmm. is all um, nonverbal ways of communicating that we just tend to appreciate less and less as we get older in age. Yeah, I think it gets fuddled. I like to say it gets muddy. Um, and yeah, we're told a lot of times as kids to sit down, shut up, be still. And then I had a generational message of children are to be seen and not heard and then not even seen. So how am I supposed to develop into a well-rounded human being when I'm having all of my natural expressions of trying to communicate be suppressed, not understood, demeaned, whatever? Yeah. Um, And so... Yeah, getting back to those, that's where some of the congruence comes in. If you're sitting here thinking about, um, you know, what you're going to cook for dinner and you're trying to connect with a horse, that horse knows you're not present. (laughs) They're not necessarily thinking, you know, whatever you're thinking about. Maybe they can see that. I don't know. Um, But they know you don't really want to be here. You're not really attempting to connect with me. So I'm not going to keep putting effort in doing this. And I'm going to go do my own thing. Oh, God. Sounds like my ex. Ah! <laughs> <I'm just kidding>. <laughs> this is one of the gifts of uh, emotionally focused therapy uh, uh, is that we, we don't primarily communicate verbally. We communicate through emotional states. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and so what I do in my work is try to help people 
access those states that are we're shoving down, whether it's, you know, conscious suppression or I just I don't have access to it because of some of the things you're you're talking about, uh, the, the earlier stuff. Um, and, and I just learned to block that off. Like part of the therapy and part of the healing is not learning to talk better. I mean, I, again, I, I have a healthy respect for like use your words, like <laughs> definitely learn to learn the verbal skill set, but to to be able to access and express the the feeling states. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as someone who works with men, uh, uh, work with about eighty percent of men, we suck at this. Like <laughs> we're really really bad at it. Uh, the 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 negative kind of, quote unquote negative or more tender, vulnerable feelings. Uh, but also we really suck at like expressing <laughs> like joy and, and gratitude and appreciation and compassion for, uh, Cause that makes you weak, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 well, and, uh, going back to, uh, evolution, uh, there is a, a sense of like vulnerability. If I wear my heart on my sleeve, you know, you can use that against me. If, if I, mm, I can explain that in horse terms too. Ooh, let's... So with that horse regulation, on. Um, when you're highly emotional, you are relatively dysregulated, whether you're excited, mm. fearful, whatever. Your body is so, what I like to say, inked with those neurotransmitters that it makes it that much more difficult to um, sense what's going on. So you have to be cautious in a in a herd, it's like, how do we do play and still stay safe? If you're cognizant mm. of what's going on and where your emotions are, you can do some of that wave riding of the emotions and still maintain a level of presence and awareness of what's going on around you. But also understand that with that um, heightened level, yeah, you're not going to be able to tap into everything the same way. Which again ties it back to just the the closer relationship with trauma because I think there's there's so much trauma that needs to be processed physically uh, mm-hmm. and behaviorally before we can even begin to process it cognitively or verbally. Mm-hmm. Body keeps the score. Yeah. And uh, I had a horse pun. <laughs> <laughs> here, here, don't here. We'll do this. Let him say it, but then just don't laugh. Well, the- <laughs> just, so but direct make direct eye contact. Horses co-regulating are. Bronco regulating. Bronco is a horse. <laughs> Bronco regulation. That was very good, Hayden. <laughs> I like driving Broncos. <laughs> Tying it back to energy, um, I I tend to be more like on, the, and this is just from being in school my entire life, just drilling it to what the research says and what's observable through the scientific method and all of that. So like earlier, like tying the the womb energy to, you know, like the um, epigenetics and to have that scientific explanation. But I still feel like there's, there is something to energy beyond our, our direct understanding because you can be stand next to somebody in a public space and just get a bad vibe, yep. right? In science might say that it's all these like micro expressions that like you're, you're cognitively or consciously haven't really picked up on, but subconsciously or unconsciously you have and that's where the the bad vibes are coming from but undeniably like i've been to places that are not you know in line with my religion but you get this sense of like 
oh, this is a holy space or this is a sacred space mm-hmm. or you go to like a cemetery and you get a vibe, but you go to a different cemetery and it's like, okay, this is just a park with dead people. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've found fascinating, I took an energy medicine class <clears throat> for my current program and uh, I hadn't spent a lot of time uh, researching energies, but I think one of the coolest things I discovered is just how present it is throughout history and culturally. Mm-hmm. Like we have beyond just our understanding of like our English version of energy, but then there's chi and then there's the other spelling of chi yes. and then there's prana and pitha and all these others that like, you know, these cultures weren't communicating. They weren't sharing this information and creating their own words. These were their own discoveries. These were their own observations of uh, human existence. And that to me was the most fascinating thing. Yeah. So there's definitely something there. You can't deny that there's nothing to energy or energy healing or energy medicine. Um, I, I think it just lies beyond our understanding at this point, which is that's how science works, right? There's so much that seemed like magic and witchcraft until right. we studied it and we're like, oh, okay, so this isn't like this thing in the sky that knows and eats and feeds and thinks and breathes. It's just a ball of gas that keeps us warm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, and Dan Siegel, uh, you know, talks about the mind as this uh, emergent, self-organizing, embodied, and relational uh, regulator of energy and information. But then, so the, our our Western science mm-hmm. is fi- uh, maybe not validated, but in fact has caught up to this idea that uh, we are constantly exchanging energy. To me, it's obvious, and we go back. I go back to the, you know, I'm talking, and it is the impulses in my brain are transmitted into, you know, onto my vocal cords, and that vibrates the air, and then hits your eardrum, and you know, turns into another impulse, and you interpret it. And here we're on the podcast, and it's being transmitted into, I don't know, radio waves, whatever the hell. I, I don't understand podcasts, but uh, it's. <laughs> being turned into energy and it's uh, exchanging between our nervous systems. I think that's super cool. But that's one of the biggest things between like Eastern medicine and Western medicine is that, that exchange that focus on the energy and whether that's like the literal energy that we're talking about or just, you know, the energy that goes into being a human. So a lot of Eastern is like preventative um, or treating the actual underlying issue. Mm -hmm. Like is our, so if we look at, if you Google dimensions of health, depending on who published the paper or what fancy chart or meme that you found on Facebook says, uh, there's several different domains, but the most common ones, the dimensions of our health is spiritual, emotional, occupational, intellectual, social or community, physical and nutrition, intellectual and environmental. Mm-hmm. So research shows that sexual. we, we <laughs> sexual I don't know, is sexual not on there. <laughs> should be as the, it should the be. newly christened, uh, Sex therapist in training, <laughs> I, I am smirched. But all of that feeds into the overall energy. Like if that, ener- if we want to call that energy health, or we want to call that energy wellness, um, this is what you'd see more from like the Eastern side, or even like Ayurvedic medicine and uh, Chinese medicine has this very like comprehensive like. Okay, what are you doing for movement? Like, are you getting around? Or are you moving? What are you doing uh, in the mornings? What are you doing at night? How are you mm. eating? How are you treating yourself? All of this feeds into our energy. Versus Western medicine is more focused on symptom suppression. So here's medication for your headache. Here's medication for your cough. Here's medication for this. Mm-hmm. But it's not actually treating the underlying system. Mm. I remember one of the, the, the biggest turning point in my just career and life in general, I was at a conference <clears throat> in Harvard, not bragging, but I was at uh, <laughs> this Harvard conference and it was, uh, I forgot what the, the actual lecture was on, but 
because <laughs> I wasn't paying attention because I was at Harvard and I thought it was cool. <laughs> but it was, it was a bunch of doctors and nurses. It was a medical focused lecture. And so this, have I talked about this on the podcast? I don't want to no. repeat the story. Okay. No. <laughs> so this, this uh, doctor is leading it, a medical doctor. And he said, okay, let's do an exercise. And he pulled up a vignette and it's just like this old dude. And it's like, this is Bob. So Bob is, let's say 56, works a high stress job. He's a CEO of something. Bob's weight is this and his blood pressure is this and all this stuff that's like beyond my understanding. And they're like, okay, so Bob comes in because he's complaining of low energy and he can't sleep and he's feeling sore. Like, what should we do for Bob? And somebody raised their hand. Well, I don't like his so-and-so levels. Let's prescribe this. Okay, let's put that on the board. Mm. And somebody else, uh, I think that, you know, he's overweight, so we need to prescribe this. It's like, okay, let's do that. And then what about this? Okay, let's prescribe this. So we had mm. three and he's like, okay, so now we have three medications. What's that going to do to his digestive system? Mm. Somebody's like, oh yeah, let's give him this for the side effects. Uh, and then he was like, okay. So Bob walks in, he, this is presenting symptoms and we've already prescribed him four medications without asking any further questions. Like what could we do? What's one thing we can do instead of prescribing four uh, invasive interventions. And this one nurse kind of raises her hand. She was like, diet and exercise. And he was like, what? And she's like, diet and exercise. Uh, and he's like, exactly. Like you're about to give this man four different prescriptions instead of looking at um, his uh, like social determinants of health. Like what's feeding these symptoms what's feeding these things that are causing him problems and like that to me is always stuck because Mm. our impulse is to treat the symptoms without actually seeing how we got here i feel like in mental health we're a little bit more immune to that because it's the nature of our job it's like okay think happy thoughts get out the door no Mm. we're going to talk about like how we got here uh what's worked in the past what hasn't worked in the past but that's my little soapbox of Eastern. Oh, I like Western it. <laughs> it one on the on the on Bob's end, you know, Bob might be more than happy to take yeah. take three or four medications instead of changing his, his whole lifestyle. So well, we want you know, those quick fixes, yeah. right? And and that is a lot of what I think Western medicine is is to do that triage, somewhat quick fix band aid. Of course, thing. I'm on my third beer, <laughs> decompress from the week. But. Do as I say. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you're you're ignoring the whole system. And that's what I like to work with is the whole system. Systems. Yes. I feel like systems is like fringe. You know, it's almost non-traditional. Oh. <laughs> but I'm so systems oriented as a, uh, I didn't go the MFT licensure, but all my training is in, you know, family systems and uh, nervous systems, organ systems. Horse people system. <laughs> there are a lot of crazy people, but <laughs> they're fun crazy. Um, but it is cool seeing just like this overall change. I was working for uh, a community health center, and that was wild, wildly major. What am I trying to say? I do not like being tired. The majority of their funding came from uh, let's just call it the Schmepiscopal Health Foundation, and it was a lot of uh, again reactive rather than proactive um, social interventions for health. And there was like a medical clinic and they had mental health and they had nutrition and they had all of this stuff. Um, so our budget ended up, B and <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> our budget up ended, ended up getting cut and uh, I lost, I got laid off and it was a horrible experience. But the reason the budget got cut is because they decided to stop putting so much funding towards reactive mm-hmm. and starting going towards uh, proactive, like going to, the education side and looking at the the more social determinants of health, which is more of like, do people have economic stability? Because that's going to determine if they feel that they have the means to have a healthier diet. Um, mm-hmm. Even though it, it's, it's 
somewhat misleading to think that all of the bad foods are the cheapest ones. Like there are healthy, cheaper options, but people in lower SES tend to gravitate towards what are the better deals, which is usually junk food. Mm-hmm. Um, social and community or social or determinants when of health. He's recently divorced. <laughs> <laughs> Neighborhood and environment, health, uh, access to healthcare, access to quality education and food quality and stability. And these are the things that um, public service foundations are putting effort and time into now. So hopefully we'll see some sort of evolution in the next few years. But Yeah, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is what popped up. Um, and I, I don't think that as a society we really see how beneficial that is, how important that is to be able to have you know, stable nutrition, to have a sense of safety, a sense of being seen, accepted, acknowledged. And you just got to pull in... yourself up by your bootstraps. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you had brought up the evolution of men. And mm. uh, what came to mind with that is that it's not that men are incapable of doing that kind of connection, right? right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that is a stereotype that we put out there when y'all mentioned that, that, that can be seen as weak. And um, I think it takes a lot of courage and bravery to be able to be vulnerable and still stand your ground and share your emotions like that. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) um, And so it's almost like the muscle that allows you to do that may not have been worked out quite so much, but there are plenty of other cultures where their men are supported in being that way, being more maternal and nurturing. Um, And those men typically have a little bit better ability to connect intuitively and do that, that, that level of nurturing and support. Um, so your your bodies are set up to be able to do that, mm-hmm. but the education and, and long term tra- trauma support and trauma. The Terry Real calls it the normative trauma of boyhood. It's like you could have the best life and and you still you know get separated from your body and your emotions just culturally. And yeah, and so coming the normative trauma, and then there's the you know the the personal and familial stuff. Yeah. And coming back into that in a society where it's still not entirely supported, you go into the business world and it's like, you can't, you can't be this way and you have to fit this role, Mm -hmm. but also switching hats can be very difficult. It's like this becomes your identity versus having a little bit more flexibility, which horses have to have. You have your front runner in a herd, you have your back end of a herd because they've got to be able to watch all sides. And then you've got everybody in the middle. <clears throat> That's going to be my new insult. You're such a back end of the herd. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they're pretty muscular. <laughs> but... I'm such a back end of the herd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they all have to work together and, and play their part. Um Laura, uh, I th- I love the uh, so that you're kind of a a um like a specialist twice over. <laughs> so you're uh, an equine specialist and uh, and then you're a Reiki master, and you kind of alluded to this earlier. And this is one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on on the show. <laughs> is this a show? <laughs> sure. I never said it that out loud. <laughs> so glad to have you on the show. <laughs> um, and obviously. 
Patrick and I know exactly what Reiki is, but for our, <laughs> our stupid, uneducated listeners, um, <laughs> do you mind just telling our listeners what what, what is Reiki? Yeah, so um, my understanding of Reiki, well, so Reiki is an ancient Japanese technique of healing. Um, yeah, listeners. And <laughs> my understanding of my studies is that it is an individual who is very attuned to those meta uh, communications, um, and you use your ability to sense. Um, you know, heat comes out of our hands, so you can scan over somebody's body and be able to sense hotter spots, colder spots. And then if you go a little bit deeper, just like the connection with my client's baby, mm. you pick up on those things um, and you trust whatever's coming in and you, you we say uh, open up like a hollow bone and you want to just be open and welcoming to whatever comes in and be able to work with that. Um, obviously you don't want to have any kind of negative intentions cause that's not therapeutic. Um, but yeah, it's somebody who's attuned to those things and can connect with another body or multiple if you're doing group sessions, um, and be that maybe herd leader that has a much stronger grounded system and can kind of pull everybody in and you calm down and then you open up for that entity to be exactly what it needs to be. I remember working wow. on another client's body and she was just like, okay, we'll share if you get any messages. And I, and I had already gotten down to her abdomen and I kept having this word grandmother grew through my head and there's no reason why that should have been coming up. And so I was like, all right, well, Going back to that trust thing, I decided to share that with her uh, at the risk of sounding crazy. She's like, well, actually, my grandmother was a healer as well, and she used to work in that exact same spot on my body. So you're just Whoa. attuned to it. It still blows my mind. There's a part of me that's like, what the fuck is happening here? <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> but it gives me goosebumps, and, uh, you know. She's not lying, folks. <laughs> Like my hair is standing up. Um, It's really cool. And we're all capable of doing it. And animals are that baseline. Um, It's slightly different doing uh, animal assisted therapy with like dogs and and cats and stuff because they are also predators like we are versus doing work with horses or rabbits or something. That's a prey animal that goes back to that more fight or flight responses in our body and they live in a level of PTSD, if you will, take that very loosely. Um, but they do it very gracefully mm. and very aware. They have to be. And so that also helps retrain our systems. Yeah, the, uh, I go, go back to the zebras don't get ulcers. They, uh, I, I'm in fight or flight, and then I'm able to come back into, into baseline, and then I, you know, Get, go back into fight or flight, back into baseline. And it's this kind of this nervous system dance of fight and flight and graze and, you know, tend and befriend. And, um, yeah. and, and they just, they, they switch 
seemingly, you know, from the outside more uh, effortlessly or uh, maybe that's not the right, but they, they flow in and out better than we do. And, yes, much and, better. And we get stuck in our, you know, in our cognitions and in our imaginations. Um, Stories. Yeah, I go back to our, our episode two on the, uh, we had our lovely guest, Kalia, and we were talking death anxiety. Ah. <laughs> it's like humans are the only animal that can sort of foresee our and project our own uh, demise. Mm. Um, and so the, the prey animals you know, they have death anxiety in the moment and then it goes away. Uh, and and we can get stuck in that. And, and uh, like I do at like two in the morning, you know, uh, how we do. Um, and then you have a beer and it goes away. But... Um, <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, I, I love this idea that the, the, the horses can flow in and out of, of those states. And I think there's something that we can learn from that because the world is dangerous and, and we need to be able to, you know, switch in and out. But, um, if we let the danger uh, just overwhelm us then that's no way to live either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I haven't read too much of the literature on the efficacy of Reiki, but I have looked at a few articles that were published on like distance healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were interesting where they would have somebody like their control group <clears throat> was obviously just like nothing, just people going on about their day. And then there was like the, the blind group, which is essentially going on about their day and they didn't know if they were being healed or not. Um, and, but they were like tracking their GSR level on GSR. Um, what is the term? Basically like their perspiration their anxiety levels. It was like a self-report. Galvanic skin response. There we go. <laughs> Wait, so it is GSR. GSR. Um, <laughs> just to see like if there were any fluctuations and there were noticeable differences in uh, the ones that were receive- unknowingly receiving distance healing than not. The reason why, again, like the scientific community tends to turn their nose up at, at these uh, more complementary alternative forms of healing and medicine is because They'll do a study and then they'll say, oh, it's no one's replicated it. But also, like, no one wants to fund these types of, like, studies. So, yeah. like, of course no one's going to fucking replicate it because no one's actually, like, trying to replicate it. Um, and then there's times where it is replicated or, like, there was flawed design to begin with. And then that's enough to, like, lose interest in it or whatever. But there's definitely a need for more research in this area because it's definitely a very interesting and intuitive. My partner, she... Uh, is not the most conspiracy theorist person. Like she doesn't have uh, a bunch of tinfoil hats hidden around the house, but <laughs> she, when I, when we first met and we were I'll dating, have a lovely bunker though. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty sweet. Um, that's mostly for anyways. Um, <laughs> she, when I told her that I was studying mind body medicine, she had this interesting theory that the reason why it's like so stigmatized and frowned upon in more like mainstream media is because like pharmaceutical companies just kind of have their like thumb over everybody. So they're going to ones that are going to be wanting to not fund or uh, allow, you know, preventative medicine to see the light of day because it's just going to tank their industry out of business. Yeah. But look at like Western medicine where we focus so heavily on pharmaceuticals where those companies are booming in a capitalistic society, but like in Eastern medicine where they very rarely use invasive medications like we do, uh, are li- living like longer and healthier lives. Mm-hmm. Like even pre COVID, the our the U.S. Uh, death rate is like going down significantly with like third world countries, which is interesting and sad. We live fast and die hard. <laughs> that's very true. I think we have a lot of research out there, actually, um, and that's what 
another piece of, of my research business that I want to do is to do a meta-analysis of what we have out there. So you're talking about long-distance healings. What about the documentation of, like, twins and being able to experience kind of what's going on with your twin from another side of the world? Twin studies are super interesting. Right? So I think of this, and, well, in herds, for instance, they have to be able to communicate from extreme distances sometimes. And I look at that as... um, Um, Like... Well, now I lost it. String <laughs> theory or uh, where the particles are. Yeah, those things. Linked. Yeah. We're right. talking about dimensions. Right. And You're they talking have, about connections. Well, and... Mm-hmm. and Quantum physics on tap. I think <laughs> that uh, people can connect across dimensions. Mm. I've got... And they've started proving that, too, yeah. with, uh, like, manipulating atoms from, like, one side of the space through another. Right. We've got lots and lots of evidence, but I think that's also part of the problem is that there aren't enough people that have taken the time to go through the mountains of evidence that are out there and be able to see it from this perspective and to put it into these channels and this picture so that we can understand that. Yeah. And I, I, that's part of my spirituality, and people can put it into whatever spirituality or religion fits their belief system. But this is just life. Like, it's a sensory piece. It's an, an awareness. It's a, a level of shifting your perspective and maybe, you know, speaking of therapy, noticing where you're resistant to this thing. Mm. Okay, were you not connected to your mom and dad growing up or whatever caregiver you had? Uh, did you miss that level of, like, metacommunication? Uh, okay, then maybe you were never able to, like, build that foundation for yourself to be able to see these things. I, I was very connected to my family and able to pick up on and notice a lot of those little intricacies um, and kind of became a, a jester uh, to like keep everybody as light as possible. Mm. A caretaker of the family, middle child, great stuff. <laughs> um, clown. I <laughs> yes, I was yeah. the clown. Um, the, the mascot. You know, different <laughs> different yeah. family 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 roles that we can play. Exactly, and and some people are more in tune with these things, and other people aren't so much. And I don't think that that's entirely a a bad thing. I think that speaks to our different unique gifts that we have. Um, You know, going into like clairvoyance and clairsentience and all of these different um, pieces that people can pick up on. Um, You just got to find where somebody else's light is to be able to say, hi, see here, you can do this too. You guys know Claire Sentient? She went to St. Ed's, I think. Oh, God. <laughs> I have another horse pun. He picked up his drink in such a proud manner that I just fucking knew <laughs> something was coming. So the critics of equine therapy are naysayers. <laughs> that was great. That was a, that was a genuine <laughs> chuckle. Okay. <laughs> One for three, I think, <laughs> on the horse puns. Another thing I, I wanted to point out as far as potential research, 
search options or if it's already out there. I want to appreciate that you're literally pointing at something too. <laughs> as you to say. keep my brain focused. <laughs> ADD and beer don't go so well for staying focused. <laughs> um, yeah, working with the uh, hard of hearing community, the vision impaired community, they have different means of communication. And being able to understand that they are literally forced to mm. learn ours. We aren't so forced to learn theirs and understand what's going on unless you have a child or, or you know, some other family member or partner or whatever that that has those um ways of communicating big, so. big need here in in austin and central texas i think we have a, a very large population of, of those folks yeah we've got the texas school for the deaf here and is it the texas school and for the vision blind, impaired blind, or blind yeah when i was a musician uh i remember one time the texas school for the blind it was like some extracurricular group uh, they would get like the school would fund like a monthly outing. So a group of them like chose like our concert to go to. And mm. I've never been like more flattered. It was so cool. Oh, I love cool. it. Yeah. Going past their, um, their football games, they bang like huge drums to be able to communicate to the players so that they understand what's going on. Like they feel that vibration. Not unlike mm. the Astros. Am I right? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> have a game today. I um, but uh, so yeah. you mentioned spirituality earlier. I'm so bummed that, well, one that like religion has become so highly like politicized and now it's just like mm. this very polarizing topic. Like everybody's just afraid or people with productive things to say are afraid people with just bullshit to say are like the loudest stalkers right now. But it's sad that like we can't have these conversations and that spirituality is often lumped in with religion mm. when they're, they're completely different things. And so yes. I feel like that puts like a weird stigma on even talking about spirituality, but there's mm. so much that falls under that. Like our, um, Hayden mentioned having Kalia on for the, um, I call it the death episode. What was it actually supposed to be? The existential episodes. Mm. <laughs> like we can't ask ourselves like existential questions because that falls under the category of spirituality and that's too much of a taboo topic to talk about. Or... The feedback I got on that episode, by the way, it was supposed to be coping with the current climate. And I, oh, I, that's right. I brought her on <laughs> because we're, we're dealing with a lot of existential stuff. I think yeah. COVID is pulling pulling all, all of that Lord, the trauma and, that's going to come out of the nest yeah, this past year. And, uh, yeah. And my, uh, my partner was like, I listened to it. It was a great episode. Very informative. Y'all n- never got to the coping part. Though. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, I was drunk by the end of it. So I think that was the, the coping. It was like, take a drink every time you think about your own mortality. <laughs> <laughs> you can go work with equine therapy for coping. Ooh, uh, there it is. I totally interrupted you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, spirituality is an important conversation to have. And that's its own like non-traditional therapy. Like there are more like spiritually focused or religious focused interventions. But... Yeah. I didn't know there was a thing called spiritual psychology and that's totally mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. That's sort of the, the foundation. I think you know, I always bring it back to spiritual psychology. I can talk about systems and some of these different uh, uh, methods I use, but you know, at the, at the end of the day, I, it has to, there has to be a spiritual component for me because we're dealing with suffering. Like how do you, you don't use CBT on a, someone, you know, going through a loss. Like right. let's look at your cognitive distortions about you know, <laughs> losing your father. It, 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 there, there, 
spirituality to me is uh, about uh, and how I use it in the work is how do we transform our suffering into wisdom or into mm-hmm. love or into into compassion into something or just to make sense of it you just to make sense of it yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I took a spirituality and health class and it was super interesting cause they were showing like the timeline of, of the relation or where just like health systems came, came from and like they originated with spiritual and religious beliefs. Like mm. the first hospital was created by the Catholic church and shamans were, uh, spiritual advisors or professionals like within the community. And so there was just like this deep connection between spirituality, religion and health for the longest time. And I want to mm-hmm. say, I'm not even going to attempt a year, but it was in recent history in the last like one or 200 years where there was the noticeable separation of spirituality, religion and health. And now those things are completely different. You'll still see spiritually focused like hospitals or like the Shriners Mm -hmm. or the, you know, Catholics have a lot of hospitals. Um, but you don't really see a lot of that connection. Like even with in, like I used to volunteer, I was a glorified candy striper at, at, one of the Seton hospitals here in town. <laughs> and even though it's a Catholic hospital, uh, it still was not very Catholic. Like they just had a Catholic chapel and mass uh, there, but there was no, oh, and like priests were in charge of securing DNRs, which I always found that interesting. Um, but there was not a lot of merging the two. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think of that as like the in group out group piece, right? Um, you get, a group of people together and they start believing the same thing and that can take on a lot of momentum and the person who like raises their hand to stop that momentum is a record screech. Yeah. And at the same time, how important is that to be able to stop, pause, reassess and decide to, to change if you need to. Um, and, you've got plenty of other cultures you brought up shamans and they were highly respected people that paid attention to those kinds of things and were able to speak to it with a lot of respect. Yeah. Um, and we definitely sink into that very easily. Um, and it becomes blinding. Sorry, go ahead. Well, just to kind of link this with, therapy and and spirituality and the body and uh we often talk about trauma uh, and the kind of the psychological effects and um but i i've read and i i I wish i could pull this up uh but certain indigenous uh languages translate trauma as a soul wound Mm -hmm. and i feel that very deeply uh so yeah, what what came up uh, connected with some of my training um, from Natural Lifemanship, which is a wonderful equine program with a lot of applicability to human therapy. Um, but one of the ways that they described trauma is um, it's askew. So if you think about a steady beat, that is very calming. You have drum circles and all that kind mm. of stuff. Your heartbeat. The very steady beat is calming. That is a a flow versus if you have like an erratic pattern that doesn't make any sense. It's you. Yeah. Right. (laughs) So It's very jarring. Jarring. Right. And that is a that is what a trauma is. You have this flow that has been happening and there's some sort of skew that that 
that also happens and then you don't have a repair an ability to process to be able to help put you back on that same track or decide that you might need to switch tracks for something better. In my couples, I talk about harmony, disharmony, and repair. Mm-hmm. I was like the sort of the, the, the beat there is uh, this musical um, analogy of you know, disharmony, dis- dissonance, or just it's r- raucous. Mm-hmm. Jarring. Mm-hmm. And, well, yeah, I mean, I love music therapy. Um, my brother took me to a death metal uh, band, and it was amazing. <laughs> I had never seen, like, a mosh pit, and I always thought that, I'm sure, like, a lot of people do, that it's this very, like, jarring, awful, disruptive, dysregulating music and after going, I completely disagree. It is an amazing ability to be able to get out a level of energy and experience that people don't think of. And watching the mosh pit, that is a lot of movement. That is a lot <laughs> of energy, right? And you know what you're getting into. At the same time, people look out for one another. The Band, the lead singer stopped the music because some lady had fallen mm. and said, get her, pick her up. People got her, took her to the first stage. She was fine, but they were getting her out of the area and then everything resumed, right? It's not traumatic music. It's still a very constant, like linear-ish thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, was this at the Broken Spoke or where, where were you? <laughs> I think it was at Get Out or something. This is like such a perfect like merging of my two selves. <laughs> like my growing up like a punk rocker versus my therapist self. Like now recalling times in, in um, mosh pits that it, it perfectly embodies like a <laughs> tangible way to see the storming, forming, and norming of groups. Because like there's the storming when like the mosh pit first breaks out and then you figure out which direction it's going to go. Like is this like a circular one or is this a chaos one? And then everybody just kind of like falls in line. And then oh, more people join. And then there's some like the storming. And then there's the forming. Then the norming. Then we find that rhythm again. I love and it. And then there's a disruption, like you said. And then they get kicked. Like there's always inevitably going to be an asshole that just gets in there trying to sure. hurt people. And then they get quickly exited. And then it goes back to like normal. Yeah. Um, well, that's and that's funny. a repair piece, yeah. right? Mm. I, I don't think that being stumped or taken off of our path is a bad thing. I think that that can very much help us be able to see things that we wouldn't otherwise see having our somewhat horse blinders on. And it's on. also unavoidable. <laughs> yes, exactly. Horse blinders, nice. I see what you did <laughs> I'm trying to find a segue into, into um, our talk on a kind of drug-assisted psychotherapy, and I, mm. I didn't know if there was like a... Like, what kind of drugs were you doing when you were a, a punk rocker? Would that be a good, good segue? I think I was the only Austin musician that did not do drugs. I, I have this Man, thing about, like, bummer. my brain that, obviously, everybody at this table, we've invested thousands and thousands of dollars into our brains, and yeah. I fucking hate <laughs> not having control over my brain. Like, even when I'm drunk, I don't, I don't get blackout drunk because I don't like losing, like, whole chunks of my night. Mm. Um 
but funny drug story. So I do, uh, I like CBD oil for when I'm feeling anxious. So mm. every once in a while I'll get some CBD or like CBD gummies with melatonin just mm-hmm. knock me the fuck out. So nice. So I was in the CBD. Did I say this in the chat? Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> so I, I went to the, my little local CBD shop. Uh, for those of you that are like, I don't know, they don't know what CBD is. It's not THC. There's no uh, drug in this. It's just like a cannabinoid that like work on certain receptors that have like anti-anxiolytic properties to it. Essentially mellows you out or calms you down, uh, but doesn't get you high. Uh, but they were hawking this new product called Delta 8, which I'd never heard of. But they were like, oh, it's the closest thing to THC that we can legally sell and blah, blah, blah. And oh that's how they were selling the full spectrum stuff. And I, I was expecting more out of the full spectrum and it just felt the same. So I just thought it was bullshit. So I buy the Delta 8 and it's in gummy form and I eat one because I was particularly anxious on a day. So I sit down and I'm typing notes and I'm responding to emails an hour and a half, I keep like, I was writing an email to one of my professors and I'm like, I write a sentence and I forget mid-sentence what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then I back up and then I write the sentence and I forget who I'm emailing. And I'm oh, like, no. what the fuck is going on? And then like, I started feeling the weird, like, like I was on a roller coaster and then, <laughs> so it really was close uh, to and then I was like, I was thinking something and I was like, did I just say that? And I was by myself and I realized <laughs> that that shit. I don't know how that's legal. Like, I do not. <laughs> There's so many Delta things 8. I don't understand why they're legal. With. Good, good plug for Delta Eight. I was so uncomfortable. <laughs> not, not a sponsor yet. It's like it's a. I guess when you get high, like you you expect to get high, but when you get high, when you're not expecting to get high, it's a very like scary situation. Because I yes. went, immediately went to like, how long is this going to last? I have clients I need to see. I have shit that I need to do, and it was it was all around an uncomfortable experience. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm very much in favor for doing certain kinds of drugs. We, we can call it drugs. Yeah. I mean, you can call plenty of the pharmaceuticals drugs too. So We're they are called drugs. a drug right now. Right. Um, alcohol. But I do think that there's a lot of benefit to that. And I know that the Western psychology world is getting more into being able to do that. You work with a therapist while you're having a trip. To be able, almost like EMDR type stuff, they help lead you through a story. Um, so it's somebody who's trained, present, aware to some extent. I hopefully with their own experience of what mm-hmm. you're going through um, to be able to get those therapeutic pieces. However, like a lot of what we do in, I'll say for Western society, we like to let go and disassociate and have fun and let loose and you go too far with these things. And yes, it's fun for some people. It can also be really bad. Um, What was that thing you always say, Patrick? Anything that is powerful enough to heal is strong enough to cause harm. Exactly. Mm. That's, That's my point. If you aren't being cognizant about what you're doing, what you're going into, what the potential effects are, know yourself well enough before going into it, I think it can cause way more harm than good. But it's also what what's the intention or the purpose of the use? Like are exactly. you using it as a crutch, as an escape, as so like drinking, for example. Like if we relied on drinking as our anti anxiety meds or <laughs> antidepressants, then that's problematic. But if we just use beer as like a social lubricant or to you know, as an occasional like I don't know, I just like beer thing, then that's it gets one thing. Me over be- stage fright when I have to 
get up and perform. Yeah, perform, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but if it becomes like a dependence, then that's a problem. Exactly. But, so what you were describing earlier is uh, like ketamine treatments is mm. um, the new thing. I actually just switched my dissertation topic to ketamine assisted psychotherapy for treatment resistant depression. Mm. Because uh, I had three clients over this past year begin ketamine uh, psychotherapy, and I got to actually shadow the procedure one time, and it is phenomenal. Like it is such a trip. Uh, they you go in. Well, it's ketamine a is still trip. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ketamine's still pretty wildly like uh, unregulated in Texas. Like uh, a medical professional still has to administer it, but as far as like the dosage, there's people that are dissociating, which is unhelpful. Um, but essentially, you go, you get infused, and if they have a therapist present, which they should. Like you said, the therapist is kind of like walking them through the process and being there to anchor them because mm-hmm. they're still fully aware, well aware that there's somebody in the room that they're talking to while they're having this high or experience. And they're processing deep shit in an egoless state. Mm-hmm. And it's incredibly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't know if some of the like frog uh, therapy, frog poison, or I, I don't even, Cambodia? What, I don't even know what all Kombucha. Those- <laughs> yeah, I don't know all Ayahuasca. the terms. Ayahuasca is one, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and I'm going to trust my body when it says don't do that for me. Um, well, I think that's why you know this is uh, a fourth and fifth line treatment. It's not your your average person walking into their primary care provider saying I'm <laughs> feeling a little down lately. We'll, yeah, no. we'll go on this ketamine <laughs> trip or MDMA. But the accounts that I've I've had some clients that have uh, gone gone through this um, and it's phenomenal. It is phenomenal, and uh, it, it it almost it reminds me going back to our, our talk about about men. It, it reminds me of the the ordeal the when they would send boys out into the wilderness and mm-hmm. you, you survive for a night or a week or or whatever it is, depending on the the culture, and you come back and you're welcomed in as a, as a man. It's, mm-hmm. it's like you're facing the, the ordeal is the, uh, the it's internal now. It's um, so you kind of face your, your inner demons, but in this egoless state, as you said, Patrick, that without judgment and without, um, without uh, a lot of the, the shame um, and some of the depictions I've, I've heard of these trips are like, I'm, crawling through the darkness and I'm uh, uh, battling something. And, and then you hopefully come out on the other side uh, more integrated and uh, having slayed the dragon or, or yeah. whatever you got to do. They still do that. I'm trying to look it up. <laughs> one of my friends volunteers with them where they take like troubled youth mm. outward bound. Yes, I did that. It was did amazing. They, don't they just like plop you out in the wilderness for like a day and they're like, good luck. Yes, they, they did. And I had a wild Turkey that loved to say hello to me mm. while I was trying to you brought liquor <laughs> with you. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, what do we got here? We got Jameson. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was great. Um, I was watching naked and afraid the other day and my partner came in and she, just all these like naked bodies on the TV blurred out. And she's like, what the hell are you watching? <laughs> Don't kink shame me. I want nudity <laughs> no. without the nudity. I'm studying up for my sexual health alliance application, <laughs> Carolyn. I thought about going to a nudist community. There was one on TV the other day in Florida, and both the male and female partners were just completely naked on the couch talking like, ain't no Were plane. you watch, watching the show about clothes? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, she made me turn that one off, too. We, uh, <laughs> we watched the next episode. Um, but I can't wait to circle back to the... <laughs> Um, 
yeah, it's a show about important pieces of clothing, and these people did not have clothes. So yeah. I don't know. But uh, anyway, what were their thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> Ian, where are you? We got off, we got off track. <laughs> we totally went off track. But, where were we? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, uh, and I, I was doing a little bit of because uh, I'm fascinated by these uh, uh, male initiation uh, uh, rituals, and um, I, again, I use uh, uh, when I use IFS, for example, internal family systems, and we we go back and we do the the exiled unburdening. I, I consider that uh, is very similar. It's like we float back in time together and we go through this like horrific moment and I guide the client through that and we're, I'm, I'm not using MDMA or ketamine mm-hmm. uh, cause I'm not licensed to do that. I don't <laughs> know how to do that, but it's a very, uh, a similar idea of we're going to, we're going to confront the thing mm-hmm. instead of medicating it with alcohol or, you know, these protective parts that we develop that become kind of uh, crystallized as part of our, our character, but we, we can go back and we can actually heal those hurt parts. And then there's this sort of internal rearranging that's, uh, uh, really, really cool. So, um, I think the, it, it sounds like what I understand about these, um, drug assisted, uh, trips that we can access parts of ourselves and, um, imagery that we don't have access to in uh, Jahari's window. Yeah. In, in normal states of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. And I what think. is therapy if not making the unconscious conscious? Exactly. Very cool. I threw cocaine therapy on there. Uh, <laughs> it was a throwback to my man, Sigmund Freud. I think he, uh, <laughs> it was, a, but he did cocaine and then provided therapy. Yes. <laughs> it's still cocaine assisted. It's just, <laughs> I What's going on a, with you today? What's my, what's I have problem? a picture. It was we were trying to put it on our shirts at St. Edwards, and they decided they didn't like it, which is totally fine. But I think I want to use it. And I asked my sister to draw this like Freudian version of a goat, and so it's this it's awesome goat a head, bunch of dicks, <laughs> and he's got a wonderful dress suit on, much like the one that you guys have on. And it, it it it's Freud with a goat head, and I think it is oh, that, so perfect. It's amazing. I'm going to use it for my therapy for sure. <laughs> well, Patrick, I saw ten clients yesterday, and if you think you can get through a, a ten client day without a little bump at lunch, <gasps> uh, let me know. <laughs> I'm kidding. Texas State Board of whatever. So I I'm definitely an abuser of like. Or it used to be. I've calmed down since COVID, but like energy drinks, Red Bull, caffeine, not caffeine pills, but like five-hour energies, coffee. I have noticed that it's a delicate balance when you're providing psychotherapy because usually when I was like hitting the energy drinks, it's because I had a physical job or when I was like a camp counselor or something like you need the physical energy, mm-hmm. but oh, it's hard to talk about how you worked at fucking SeaWorld, <laughs> oh, yeah. which is something I learned about you recently. Oh, that's but. awesome. You've never seen my SeaWorld tattoo? I have a, yeah. a whale tail fluke on my foot. Oh. Because oh. SeaWorld's pretty it. blood in, blood out. It's, it's hard, on the core. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have it where your whale tail would be. <laughs> Colloquially, I've heard that called a tramp stamp that feels oh. shaming. <laughs> uh, it's a lower back tattoo. But where, the, where, where the whale tail but anyway so (laughs) caffeine ian where are you we need your help (laughs) but i've noticed if i slam three red bulls and then i try to sit there for an hour straight sitting still it does not work out because my mind is just nonstop. but i also can't have no caffeine so it's a recent problem i did have a kid come in so we have a wastebasket and i don't know who 
takes it out. I think we're all responsible for it, and I've just never done it. But uh, <laughs> over like three weeks, I've accumulated like a, a significant pile of Red Bull cans. And I had one of my kids come in. He was like, it's a, it's a lot of Red Bull you got there. Let's, should we talk about that? And I'm like, first of all, bro, don't count Red Bulls. That's not cool. Second of all, this is over the course of a few weeks. And he was like, I don't know. That still seems problematic. And it's like, who's the therapist? <laughs> So I've I've actually had to deal with this before with my own coffee deal um, before diving into the equine therapy. Um, You know, all the clients come out and it's been like five to seven people around and they're at varying levels of processing that they've been through in the treatment center. Um, And so we do grounding activities together and, and speak to where we are. So that you can figure out where you are in your brain, and I would speak to okay. I'm I'm feeling anxious or jitters or you know my heart beats high. Um, you speak to the sensory piece and you speak to the emotion of it, and state like okay, this is this is coffee. So after being able to say that and. And I don't know if sharing it with the group was helpful as well, but it allowed my system to be able to calm down some, mm. maybe regulate more, and and be able to focus. Like in meditation, you're you're constantly like bringing yourself back. At least in the beginning of meditation training, um, you know you have the squirrel that's talking, and you're like, okay, shh come back, come back, come back, or notice and come back. Come, yeah, the squirrel's how, gone out there. <laughs> how often are squirrels talking to you when you're meditating? <laughs> All the time! <laughs> I have a nut mistake. thing Wait, this, this whole time that you've been talking about equine therapy, are you saying that you've been providing psychotherapy <laughs> to horses? <laughs> With squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can, can Patrick and I see the squirrels? Yeah, do you, do you are the squirrels things? with us now? Yeah. <laughs> There's a purple one over there. Patch Adams! That just... Oh, all the squirrels on the bed. Oh, yeah. At the very beginning of the movie. I love it. At first, I thought you were going to say that, you know, uh, much like Patrick's teen called him out on the the Red Bull, I thought you were going to say, like, a horse was kind of like, yo, you need to chill out on the coffee over here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm picking up some vibes from you. Well, they do. I mean, uh, I... I wrote down horses are huge muscle testers. That's mm. a, a term that's uh, growing in popularity. And if you are dysregulated like that and constantly in this because of the coffee un- and therefore less able to connect, they're going to walk away from you, give mm. you the mean ears, like try mm. and nip at you, various different things. Do horses drink Nespresso? Okay. No, but they do like beer. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. Dark beer. Because of the barley? Yes. Hmm. It's actually great for their skin, apparently. That's how I keep my skin looking so nice shiny. Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> well, are we, anyone have anything else intelligent to say? Or uh, should I make more horse puns? <laughs> Obviously, we didn't cover like all the non-traditional therapies. There's so many more interventions that are at our disposable mm-hmm. in psychotherapy. Some of them are very like in-depth and involve like equine therapy, and there's some of them more just exist as like a catalyst for communication. Because at the end of the day, like sitting in a room across from a stranger and opening up about your life story in most vulnerable moments is like very, very tough. And sometimes it does help just to be doing something, whether it's like rec therapy, going out and 
doing mm. something physical and talking. Like studies show that men open up more uh, when they're doing an activity versus just like sitting down. Yes. There was a video, I was trying to find it the other day, and I, I don't remember who did the study, but they were like showing um, cisgendered like little boys and little girls at different ages and stages throughout adolescence and how they would sit and talk to each other. So they would say like, hey, we're going to do something, but just wait here in this room. And they would just put them next to each other and the chairs would start. And as you saw, like the as the ages progressed, like the boys would still sit side by side, like shoulder to shoulder. Um, but the girls would eventually like slowly turn their chairs more and more. And eventually they were just talking like face to face. And then they also witnessed like the boys would be able to talk more if they had a game or something that they were building mm-hmm. versus the girls like kind of ignored everything and still were able to hold a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I talk about that a lot in couples therapy because I think traditional couples therapy is very, you know, female oriented. And uh, I try to make mine kind of male friendly. Talking emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> and, and we're talking, you know. Is that why your office just has like football posters and Ferrari <laughs> posters? If I had to design my dream office, it would just be a bar and I would be on the other side of it and you're kind of with a rag, you know, kind of or shining glasses or polishing glasses. And that seems there's got to be a word for that. You know how like systematic desensitization is like you're you're working your way up to whatever the specific phobia is <laughs> like there's got to be something about like recreating a calming environment and just mm. like using that as the catalyst for the therapy. Yeah. That would really be nice. Ecotherapy. I mean, yeah. you've got ecotherapy as far as other non traditional. There's art therapy. There's the dance therapy. You can do yoga therapy. There's, you know, all kinds of thing out, things out there. Okay. You need to invest in that. I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll edit that out so no one takes that idea. So. <laughs> um, well, Laura, I'm so. Uh, just thank you so much for taking time out of your Friday to spend with me and this guy. And Absolutely. I had loved. A, had a blast. Yeah, chatting and sharing all this wonderful information with learned you guys. Learned so much from you. How can our listeners find you on the uh, uh, on the interwebs? What's your social security number? <laughs> Credit card info. Uh, yeah. Um, well, so uh, my... Website is Trion's T3 Services, um, and I do that because of my three siblings, or well, my two siblings, there's three of us, and that has been my anchor growing up. Um, T3 is also the vertebra in the spine that supports um, all of the connective pieces to the heart. So, Wow, cool. Um, Trion's T3 Services, uh, it's, it's still needing a lot of work, so <laughs> please don't judge too much if you go to the website. Um, also, you can come out to Healing with Horses, look them up. I'm, like I said, an equine specialist out there, and we'll be uh, doing the LPCA work supervised under Kimberly Mead. Um, and... Very yeah. cool. Healingwithhorsesranch.org. Yes, out in Maynard, Texas. Very cool. And we'll also throw that in the show notes uh, so our listeners can, if you don't want to type, you can just click it. I, they're a nonprofit, finger. aren't they? They are a nonprofit. I think what's cool about them is they have a, a giant like dry erase board of like what their needs for donations mm-hmm. are. Is that on their website too? I believe it is on their website, their wish list. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking to like give back to an organization, that's a super dope one to do it for. And it's usually like paper towels or just like basic like necessities for that. So if you have extra cash lying around or stuff that they might need, definitely visit the website and 
knock out some of their wish list. Yep. There's about 19 horses or so. Uh, it's about 40 acres. A lot of it, most of it is run by the support we get from volunteers. Um, so if you're looking for some therapeutic aspect, if you're looking to get out in nature, just doing things, you want to you know, get your hands dirty, it's a wonderful place to go to. Um, and once you've done that volunteer training, if you want to go out and just smell a horse or walk <laughs> around the property, Patty and John have uh, mentioned being able to do that as well. So Nice. It's a great facility. And thank you for having me. I enjoyed being here with you too. Well, thank you all for listening. To get in touch with any of us, whether you want to have conversations about therapy or whether you're in Texas and want to become our clients, please see the show notes where you can find the best way to reach us. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you are enjoying the show. So thank you for listening. Goodbye. Thank you.